Hello and welcome back to the Authentic Artistry podcast with me, Kitty Bazalgette, as your host. This is the podcast in which we explore what it means to find authenticity as a performer. How do we find it? How do we express it on stage? And to try and answer just some of those questions that it throws up for yourself in the process. All of the things that don't quite fit into a minute and a half video on Instagram. Before we get started today, I just want to remind you that if you are enjoying the podcast and these conversations, then you can give us a rating or review on your podcast platform. And that is super helpful for getting this podcast listened to by many more wonderful creatives. This is the last episode of the season. I can hardly believe it. It's been such an eye-opening process. I have learned so much and absolutely loved chatting to some friends, family, and connecting with a lot of new, inspiring, amazing people and learning more about them through this podcast. If you missed any episodes, you can catch up with all of this season, wherever you're listening to this from. Just search Authentic Artistry. I'm going solo today and answering your questions. So grab yourself a cup of something and let's get into the podcast. So the first question is how to improve my own self-evaluation as a musician? A very good and very important question. So becoming more aware of self-evaluation is something I really try to focus on in my own coaching practice and teaching with authentic artistry. It's really quite unhelpful to label a performance as good or bad, even if it went well. Saying it was good is also not going to help you repeat what you did unless you go into detail about what actually happened. The same thing is true if something didn't go as well. It can feel uncomfortable, but being honest about what is holding you back or what caused you to make a mistake is a vital tool in helping you to improve. Now, I would say that if you are going to look back on recordings of concerts or auditions or whatever it might be, um, leave a little bit of time before you start critiquing it whether it's going to be the good things or the bad things what you did well what you didn't do so well make sure you give yourself some time to become a little bit more neutral in your critique rather than immediately because that can sometimes really be influenced by what you felt immediately after the concert also I would say to try and go into specifics about three different areas that's mental performance musical performance and mechanical performance Thank you to Sarah from Spark Practice for giving me these very satisfying, alliterated areas of excellence. So mental would be concentration, presence, attention, imagination. Musical would be things like expressivity, phrasing, connection with other players around you, other people around you. And mechanical would be technique, freedom, tension, weight, touch, these kind of things. Once you start looking more deeply into these areas, and some of them may well cross over, you start to see the different layers of what it takes to make a good, in inverted commas, performance. And it helps you to be a little bit more nuanced about what you're looking for in a good performance so that it doesn't have to be only about, oh, did I technically play to the top standard? Because we all know it's not only about that. The next question is an amazing question. It's how to accept the physical limits of the body when you still have the mental energy to keep going. So I guess this takes into account when you're practicing and physically you feel tired, but mentally you feel that you could keep going. 
It is so important to know the differences between physical tiredness and mental tiredness. So let's point out what the difference is. Physical fatigue is usually directly linked to a recent event and can make your body feel weaker and struggle with strength or endurance. With physical fatigue, it may be connected or unconnected to mental fatigue triggers such as stress. If you're experiencing physical fatigue, your brain may feel razor sharp while your body feels quite spent and tired out. Another sign you're experiencing physical fatigue and not mental fatigue is that with a good night's sleep, you're normally back to your energised self. When your brain is overstimulated and goes through long periods of stress, it can lead to mental fatigue, also known as mental exhaustion, and it can affect your ability to think, regulate emotions, solve problems, and can lead to general challenges in your day-to-day life. So, when you have been practising for a while and you're starting to feel the effects of that in your body, back, arms, fingers, wherever it might be, but you still feel mentally able to carry on, my advice would be to find ways to start integrating mental practice. You don't want to stop practicing, but you don't want to put your body under too much physical stress. So harness the mental energy that you still have and start practicing mentally. This might include visualizing pieces, imagining yourself playing your instrument, transcription, conjuring up emotions that might be present whilst performing and also score study. Being physically tired doesn't always mean you have to stop completely, although sometimes it can help just to switch off and rest. Switching to mental practice is a really helpful task in refining your performance and improving your mental edge on stage. And I would say that if you aren't already integrating this in your practice you probably should because it just really helps your mind to be a bit more sharp when you come to things like performances or auditions or whatever it might be bulletproof musician maybe you've heard of him and the strad also have some articles about this which i will link in the show notes Next question, how to embrace a new part of my playing, a new style or genre or use my instrument in a way that I haven't used before? Another wonderful question. The first thing I think of when seeing this question is about the concept of beginner's mind. Also excuse all the angry drivers honking their horns in the background. So beginner's mind is a concept from Buddhism called Shoshin having an attitude of openness, eagerness and lack of preconceptions when studying a subject, even when studying at an advanced level, just as a beginner in that subject would. It can be difficult when starting to play or use your instrument in a new way or in a new genre because we can end up comparing or judging ourselves for not knowing how to do it as well as we think that we should. I think the key for this is to relinquish expectations, to be willing to make mistakes and to let go of your attachment from needing to know what you're doing. Really embracing the curiosity for what you're doing. No one expects a beginner to know it all. In fact, no one knows it all, but that's a different and more philosophical question. It may feel like you are expected to know more than you do because you are still playing the same instrument, but playing in a different style is a completely new way of using your instrument. 
I also think that as we get older, there can be a tendency to think that we should know things and to lose this sense of wonder and interest in new things. But actually, it's something that really connects us to our childlike self and can bring great joy when we let go on an expectation to be good. So I would say be flexible with yourself as you venture into a new part of your playing. Focus on curiosity rather than judgment and don't be afraid to ask for help. The next person has asked how to deal with negative self-talk. I don't know because I've never experienced it in my life. Next question. Just joking. Yeah, I think that probably every single person deals with this on a regular basis. The first part, which is crucial, is knowing what triggers the negative thoughts. It might be practice, it might be performance, it might be comparison, it might be judgment for your own genre, it might be having to become part of a stereotype for your genre. Yes, there can be many things that lead to it. So try and work out what is making these thoughts happen. And then you can start leaning into why that might be going on. Another thing that I think is helpful to remind yourself and something that I have to remind myself a lot is thoughts are just thoughts and thoughts are not reality. We don't have to believe what our mind is saying to us. And if we can put a little bit of distance between how we react to these thoughts, how we attach to the thoughts and the thought itself, then we might be able to have a little bit more perspective on whether these thoughts are actually helping us or not. It can be quite confronting, but saying some of these things out loud or writing them down also allows you to recognise how harsh you might be with yourself, that we don't actually take notice of when it's stuck inside our head. We kind of just allow these things to happen. But when you say it out loud or materialise it or write it down, then you start to realise, oh, actually, I'm pretty mean to myself. And this is not something that I would say to anyone else around me, probably. But for some reason, we find it very easy to say to ourselves. And lastly, this is also a practice. We have to make conscious effort to divert our attention to the positive because we are naturally wired to look for the negative, look for danger as this was what in the past kept us safe. So overcoming negative self-talk takes time and repetition and it will not go away overnight, but it needs your attention in order for it to be overcome. Next question, what helps you in your day-to-day life with anxiety about your future as an artist? Man, I wish I knew. I'm going to be really transparent and say this causes me a lot of anxiety. It's something that I probably think about on a daily basis, like multiple times on a daily basis. But I think I do have some ideas about what helps me to mitigate some of this anxiety. Firstly, something that I don't totally have ready, but is in the works for me. (laughs) Making sure that you have a portfolio that accurately represents who you are, what you do and where you are at in the current moment. So for me with Authentic Artistry, this is something like making sure I have an updated list of my offers, my rates, my experience and qualifications. But for singing, it might be recordings, different styles and genres and updated CV. And then following that, the bit where most of the imposter syndrome comes in is applying for things, getting in contact with people, asking for opportunities, support, funding, but making sure that this is like a regular habit and not just a once in a while thing like keeping following up with people 
and keeping in contact with people and letting them know what you're doing if you're around if you can serve them and making it like oh I can help you because that's always something that people want and it's only possible for these things to happen if you ask for it in the first place I'm like taking a mental note for myself saying this and hoping that I will listen to myself at some point so that's kind of how to not avoid the anxiety but to be proactive with this anxiety now things that I do for when this anxiety comes about so writing or journaling movement and also taking myself out of my own context completely not talking to people about music or performance or what I'm doing and doing an activity that is completely different and unrelated in a less practical way and more personal way I am trying to lean into the idea of uncertainty more because I feel that looking for certainty or stability all the time doesn't always allow me to feel like I'm living authentically. Now, obviously, I know that income, finances, support network, friends, family, whatever it might be, that is obviously really important and I'm not going to deny that and they are vital things for me in my life. But more about the idea that finding these things isn't going to solve all of my problems, that I also have to do the work internally. But in general, I live with a feeling that nothing is certain. And while it might sound pessimistic, I think we do things to reduce the uncertainty in our lives. But this thought helps me to motivate myself to put myself out there and go for things that scare me and to round this off I of course have to mention therapy and also some types of coaching having a space to express feel seen heard held is so very very valuable and also in coaching it helps you to be kept accountable and keep moving towards your own goals and objectives speaking of which the next question is how to set goals so in like every self-development space people will tell you it is about SMART goals which is an acronym for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant and time bound. I have personally never done this successfully so if it works for you great. If it doesn't then don't stress about it. I think it's also important to say that setting goals in a very structured way isn't suited to everyone and that doesn't mean that you are a failure. I don't necessarily find them that helpful for me and can often end up finding it a little bit overwhelming. So for me, more about making plans of action, that helps me a bit more, and then setting objectives within the plan. Uh, that seems to work for me better. And the very final question, quite a difficult question, that doesn't have a very simple answer. How to avoid confusion between self-worth and your work or art? In a world that values fame, money and success above almost everything else, navigating this space of self-worth and your art can be really, really hard. Something that has helped me is recognising that my self as a performer is only one manifestation of myself and it is not my whole self. And there are actually many facets of me and my personality that don't come into play when performing. So how would it be fair to put my whole self-worth on the line for something that is not representative of my whole self? Having said that, I will be honest and say that this has happened to me many times. 
especially when I was studying and also still since not studying. There is a really subtle difference between being healthily critical with yourself and degrading yourself based on how you perform. Eliza Marshall actually spoke about this in the third episode of this season. She said, be your own judge and to judge yourself severely, but to be kind to yourself as well. So there's two ways of judging yourself in a harsh way and also in a kind way. If you're able to allow your judgment to go both ways, then this also helps in not subscribing to the idea that if you perform well, you're a better person. I also think that reminding performance is more accurately an indicator of your ability to perform under stress and composing or executing creative ideas is your ability to translate what is in your imagination into something physical or material is a much better way of judging what you're doing. It's not about whether you are worthy or not. It's about whether you can translate these ideas, which takes time and a few tries in maybe different kinds of ways. That's it on the questions. So we will be taking a bit of a break for the rest of the year on the podcast, but I'm aiming to be back early next year. Thank you to every single one of you who has listened, followed, rated or reviewed. I'm so grateful for all the love that I've received from this first season. So I hope I can bring you even more of these conversations in the future. And don't forget to rate or review if you haven't done that yet. Meanwhile, you can find me over on Instagram at authenticartistry.co where I'm posting all things performance and well-being. So that's it for this first season. Thanks again for being here and catch you in season two. Bye.